Okay, so thanks for joining the podcast, Kara, uh, <coughs> uh, my sister. And thanks for having can... me. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. It's fine. <laughs> so we're maybe we can start off mm. with um, you've been living abroad for a couple of years now. Maybe you can talk about the reasons why you decided to move um, and build a life, and maybe what you needed to do to be able to to move like you know you had to save up all that stuff like maybe you can tell that story first yeah sure um when did i move i think i moved in 2016 and at that time i was working in real estate in um ayala land premier if you remember and yeah i, I was actually doing really well but um i had been doing that for like a while and i was looking for a change of environment like i wasn't really happy i wasn't feeling very fulfilled and at the time i had met my now husband seb and we'd been dating for about a year and a half at the time and he asked me if I wanted to try living um, in France with him. And for me, it was like an opportunity to, number one, um, just have that adventure that I always wanted. And number two, um, try living abroad also, which is one of the things that I've always wanted to do. So at the time I had saved up um, enough money to be able to live abroad and try something new so I didn't really think too much about it like I know it was a huge looking back it was a really huge decision but at the time I just thought of it like a, as an opportunity to have an adventure and I just thought to myself like you know if it didn't work with between inside at the time like it was I would have that something an adventure like trying out a new country to live in which I'd never done before so I said yes without really thinking about it too much and not having time to be too scared about it okay and like how about like the because you learned French mostly when you were living abroad already oh yeah talk about the challenges and how it started to become easy I guess you know like and to assimilate with oh, it, you know, a totally new culture. It wasn't easy at all. Like it was probably one of the most difficult things I'd ever done in my life. Like I, when I moved to France the first year, um, I moved to the city where the, uh, the town really, where Seb is from called Annecy. And it's a really small, small provincial town in the, southeast of France so it's by the Swiss Alps and in Annecy um, at the time there weren't most French people who were living there didn't speak English and so and Seb's family didn't really speak English apart from his sister and um, the first few months I lived there I was living parents and they didn't speak English at all so it was really difficult and I didn't speak a word of French either. So that experience really forced me to kind of learn the language a lot faster. So within three months, 
I could speak, you know, baby talk French. And then in within six months, I was able to carry like um, a pretty good conversation with the French people already. But I only did that out of necessity because in in that part of France, like it was so hard to make friends. Um, it was so hard to communicate with people. So I think for anyone, if you're put in a place of necessity, you just kind of, your brain kind of zones in and you just do what you got to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And I think maybe I'll jump into the next question regarding, uh, you know, you working right after you finish college, maybe you can talk about you being an art student and you be in that journey getting into makeup, uh, going into sales, and then, you know, working in a um, uh, luxury brand uh, company. Yeah. And then now you're in this, it's a lot, but like maybe you can just try to tie it all together. And now that you're in this journey of art, like just tell that story with what the things that really come out that, that speak to you first. doesn't need to be the details, but the things that, that I guess yeah. are coming up are resonating with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've worn a lot of hats in my life. Um, I've always loved art. Ever since I was young, I've always been drawing or creating little things. Like I've always loved it. Like I've always been the creative one in the family ever since I was young. And yeah, like when I was young, people would ask me, Oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would say, I want to be an artist when I grow up and it just so happened um, I did end up going to UP Fine Arts and that was that was the dream course that I wanted and I I wanted originally to go into um, to major in painting but then um, you know our family convinced me that that's not the good the good choice to to make so I settled for visual communication and that worked out because it helped me learn graphic design. Yeah. So I did that. I did an internship for graphic design after. And then I don't know how I ended up in real estate being my first job. I think it was because the summer before, the year before I graduated, I did I spent a few weeks in Europe for the first time. It was my first time to to go to Paris and and see, travel by myself. And I told myself that wow, like this experience is so amazing. I have to come back here and try living here. I remember that. And then my our cousin Carlo was living was was working for Ayala at the time, and he said like, oh well, I'm making some pretty good money here. Why don't you try it? And again, I didn't really think about it too much. I was like, okay, I'll try it. And then the ball, the ball started rolling. And then, you know, six years later, I was still there. <laughs> so, um, well, that experience is another story in itself. So I won't go too much in the details. But yeah, um, I ended up staying much longer than I anticipated. And um, I also experienced a lot more financial gain than I ever dreamed of so 
towards the end, I just thought that like maybe it's time to do something that I'm actually interested in. And so, yeah, when I moved to France, the the goals I I only set like short term goals for myself, uh, just so that I wouldn't get overwhelmed. So the first year I was like, okay, I'm just gonna learn French, and then the second year I was like, okay, I'm gonna get my MBA, and then so step by step, that's when I would set another goal for myself, and so after. After I got my MBA in Paris, I got it was a major in luxury brand management. That's what I thought I wanted at the time, and then I ended up working, finding a job in Louis Vuitton for e-commerce. And at the time, I thought that was my dream job. And then when I finally got there, I was like, "Oh shit, this is the worst job ever." It was like. Yeah, it was like a very toxic environment to be in. Um, I was dealing a lot with like the customers for for the e-commerce division, and it was a very very toxic mm-hmm. environment. So I was really really depressed. I was like, shit! I worked so hard to get here, and this is what I've been working for all this time, and I'm not happy. So I kind of had. Um, like an existential crisis at the time and I didn't know what to do and I was about to get married my hair was falling off so Seb talked to me and I was like you know if you're not happy if you're this depressed like you should quit your job so I did again without really thinking about it and not really having a plan and so I quit and it was the best decision I've made because it gave me a chance to really work on myself and reflect. But then the pandemic happened, so I was like, "Oh, okay, now what am I gonna do?" And uh, during the pandemic, like all of us, it was a really, really difficult time. So um, the first few months, I really just did a lot of self work, and somehow that led me to finding my passion again for art painting again it started with just like doing little paintings for myself just to release the stress and then after a while i started just challenging myself a bit more moving on to um bigger and bigger paintings and then finally i said to myself like this is what you you really love this is what you've always loved since the beginning I think it's now. I think it's time, you know, to to pursue something that you you actually love, and so that's how I got into it again. Thanks, thanks, Jairz, how for sharing that. And I'm curious though, like you're at the point where, in in a way, you have the skills, but you are starting over, you know, like building your brand, building your 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 work. Uh, yeah. How do you deal with the uh, Um, I guess the financial part. Um, also, how do you treat it as as work? Because it is you are trying to make it a livelihood. So maybe you can just share what are your I guess rituals that help you get into work mode. What's your what what's it like day to day? You know, in a week. Uh, what's your how yeah. do you balance work and life, and at the same time, you know, grow your 
you're the business basically. So how do how do you do that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, not gonna lie, that's the most difficult part of the whole experience, especially in the beginning. The hardest part for me was starting. Like that was really like my my biggest enemy was and still is, I think, myself. And I think people close to me were close to me know that about me. Um, so to answer the first question, like about treating it as a business, I had a really difficult time with that um, because, yeah, I've never, art has always just been like something that I love to do. So I think that's the reason why I never thought of pursuing it really um, as, a, as an actual career because I didn't associate doing what I loved with making money. And I think a lot of us have that same um, construct in our minds. And so I had to kind of rewire my brain into to think about thinking about it differently. Like, yeah, you know, why I think that's actually the formula for success and, and leading like a a happy and purposeful life. It's to find what you do and to actually use that to create um, value for others and value for yourself in society. And that translates into um, creating money. And I didn't believe that in the beginning, but after doing a lot of self-work, a lot of, I did a lot of like, you know, personal development programs and I realized, you know, this is what people are actually looking for. Like they, that's the goal in, in the work-life balance situation. Like when you do what you love, you're able to master your skills and get so good that you're, you love what you're doing. So you continue doing that and you're creating value for yourself and for other people because they're enjoying what you create. And, and so in turn, the, that gives you financial gain because people are happy to, to share or into, to partake in whatever you're creating. And so once I kind of adopted that mentality, that was when I was able to decide that I wanted to make this my career and that it was time for me to dedicate my time into doing something that I really loved and not feeling guilt guilty about making money with it so um and actually when i started thinking that way you know things started kind of falling into place without really me having to plan for it so much like when i when the last time i went to the philippines i landed my first commission by um uh, a family friend and, you know, I wasn't looking for commission work. Like, she just kind of called me and invited me to her house and said, like, oh, I want you to, to paint something for, for my house. And what she was asking me to do was, like, the biggest painting I've ever had to paint. Like, I've never painted large scale before. And she was asking for, like, a six-foot painting. So, And then, yeah, I guess that's the pattern of my life. Like, when something kind of falls into my lap, I don't really think about it too much. I just kind of accept it and and just see what I'm 
what I can do with it. So I said yes. And then, you know, after saying yes to that, other things kind of started falling into my lap, like um, the Grounded um, Gallery, the exhibit, which you're a part of also. Um, they reached out and asked if I wanted to be part of their collective. And of course, I said yes, because I'd never been part of any kind of artistic group before. And I was looking for, you know, to meet people who are also creative and also in the same space as me. And that was also a success, surprisingly. You know, I, I started um, just painting. And at the time, I was playing around with watercolors just because that's what I had lying around. And uh, I kind of just channeled the whole experience into, into that collection. And I believe the second part um, of that exhibit will be in Art Fair, which you'll be a part of too next uh, in March. In March. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm curious. Though, did like I answer your question? You, yeah, yeah, you did. You did. I'm curious about how you deal yeah. with the, because you know no one how it is. When you do, even if you love what you do, there's still days when you don't feel inspired, where it feels tedious, especially with art. Uh, what are your hacks on how to deal with procrastination? boredom, laziness, all these things that a lot of people don't talk about, but it's very real, especially when you're doing things that you love. Absolutely. For sure. I was talking about this. I talk about this often with my friend Mikey Silva, who's also an amazing artist. Um, and procrastination for me was my biggest like um, block. Like I would, because my, my artistic style is very um, hyper-realistic. So it takes a lot of concentration, a lot of many, many hours to be able to achieve the, the result that I want. And especially with mediums like watercolor, where it's, it's, not, forgive, it's not a forgiving medium at all. You, for me anyway, the, the process is like, I kind of have to, to plan a lot. Like I have to plan in my head how I'm going to um, plot out the layers of my, my, my strokes, my brush strokes. So it's a lot of work and I kind of psych myself out because I know how many hours it's gonna take. And 100% of the time, it takes much longer than it does in my head. So that always kind of, scares me and so I put it off because it I know it's it's not an easy task so when I say to myself like this happens a lot like I'll say like okay I'm gonna dedicate this time block to just painting and then the thing is I don't have a studio and um so I paint usually at home in my living room and so when I decide that I'm gonna paint my brain just kind of drags me to do an easier task like oh the dishes need to be cleaned or like oh i need to do my laundry so i do like those mindless tasks first and i end up pushing back what i really wanted to do and so yeah i have to deal with that and for the first the first year or the first half year really it was super hard for me to get the rhythm like 
I had never really been without a boss. Like I, like you know, most of my working life, I was in a in a death in a corporate job. So there was always like a manager motivating me to do my work. And now, like as a as an artist, it's your job to motivate yourself and to discipline yourself. And that's the hardest part. That was the hardest part for me. And I, I'm still dealing with it even now. Like I'm not really great at time management and this self-discipline. So in the beginning, it was really just trying to do the minimum that your body possibly can and then building from there. Like I was like, okay, just so that I won't psych myself out into like how much work this is going to take. I'm just going to do the first step. Just focus on like the first, like focus on preparing your, your, your desk. So I lay out all my paint. And then, so the next time I'm there, I'm like, okay, now you can, you can prepare like the, the foundation of your, of your painting. So I'll just do, I'll sketch out the outline of, what I do so I do it like little by little instead of like trying to do everything in one go and I find that it makes it easier for me to just sit down and do the work because when I think about everything that I have to do then I get scared and then I end up doing something something else yeah, yeah. so it's yeah super um, real for creative it's but yeah. I think that that even if you procrastinate, you still get it done. I think it's just getting it done. Even, even if it changes, sometimes you're in rhythm, sometimes you're not. I think that's just, I think even with work, it's always like that, but it's harder to police yourself. But yeah, I'm curious, exactly. especially now, you're talking about, you've been, you recently entered the NFT world, um, exploring crypto art, and maybe you can share your experience so far, especially with, um, yeah, it's a whole new world and you're also practicing your skills. Uh, joining contests maybe you can share a bit about that yeah it's definitely an entirely new universe really um and i'm still really like a baby in that space like i don't really i wouldn't claim to be an expert at all i'm learning so much every day um but yeah it's just one of those things where you know um when you first when you're first introduced to it, it's just like, whoa, like, it's just like a complete mind fuck that it's really intimidating to, to even try to take that first step to get into the door. So, you know, it took me a long time to actually even be open-minded to the, to the space because I was so intimidated by it. So it took me a couple of months. Um, and then eventually, like, you know, I think it also depends on who introduces you into the space and um, how it's explained to you. So I had the luxury of um, being introduced to it by, um, you know, our cousin Carlos, who explains things very well and very clearly. And he made it a lot less scary for me to try to navigate the space. And also another key person would be Amak, Alex Maceda, who you know also. Um, she's a traditional NFT artist in Joshua Tree. 
and she holds like workshops for onboarding traditional artists into the NFT space. She helps us like understand how to transition our traditional practice into, you know, the crypto world. And she even helps us like um, understand why the NFT space lives primarily in the Twitter space and not on Instagram, like, you know, those, those things. So those two key people, Alex and Carlos, thank you so much. You really, really, you guys held both my hands coming into this and just helped me feel a bit more safe in asking questions because um, there's a lot of questions to be asked. So yeah, um, I think number one tip is to not expect to understand everything in the first few weeks even. Um, expect that there are a lot of things that you're not going to understand, but the best way to learn is to just do and not think too much. Well, that's the way, the best way that I learn anyway. So yeah, I kind of just jumped into it. Um, the I, I started by attending the workshops of Alex and that really helped me a lot. And then the next step was to create my Twitter account. And then I started reading up on like articles, watching videos, and I started trading just a little bit, like just the blue chip um, cryptocurrencies, so Bitcoin, Ethereum. And then from there, um, thanks to Amak, I started looking at other artists who were doing traditional studio practice and then moving into NFTs and how they were doing it. So I kind of just, I just entered the space as an observer. And then later on, I was like, okay, like now I feel a bit more ready. And so I, I'd never done digital art before ever. And um, I got an iPad, uh, thank you, Chief. And um, that's the first time that I tried my hand at digital art. And my, the way that I approached it was I approached it in the same way that I would a traditional painting. So the way I paint on my iPad using Procreate is... <laughs> okay, your, your, mic's, the mic's, your mic's strong. <laughs> okay. The way um, I approach the digital art is the same way that I approach um, painting on a, on a real-life canvas. And I actually learned a lot because, yeah, with digital painting, you can create layers. You can kind of understand how colors work together, how um, different underpaintings would work. And you can, yeah, you have the freedom to play around more because if you do a wrong stroke, you can just delete it and start over. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks. And so, yeah, I started with that. And, um, yeah, my first collection is... Um, digitally painted using traditional techniques. Yeah, thanks, Kiara, for sharing all of that. And to wrap this thing up, I guess let's ask an existential question. If you knew you had one year left to live and you're in exactly where you are, nothing changes, but you just know that in a year, you know, you, you go to the other side, you know, so what's what would you do? Maybe like you don't need to break it down, just more of like uh, how would you want to spend the last year of your life like what would be the the important stuff 
you would you know the the daily. Yeah. Hmm. One year to live. Man, I guess I would just go all out into like hedonism, like you know, just enjoy life with the people that I love. Um. Yeah, I spend all my time just eating really good food, feeling good about myself. Um. Traveling to all the places that I've wanted to see, hopefully that year that I that which will be my last to live will be COVID free, so we I could like travel everywhere with like you guys with Seb, and just yeah explore the world, make new experiences, eat great food, dance a lot, sing a lot, you know, be happy. I think in the end that's all that really matters. All that really matters. All right. Yeah. Thanks so much, Gareth.